This, this is, is Yawa Radio. Radio. One welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to show 26 of Jordan Space, our first new show since taking a short break during the summer. Shortly, we'll be speaking with this week's guest, Andy McMenemy from Peak Personal Performance. Before we meet Andy, I'd like to welcome back the show's regular co-hosts, Danny and Paul. I hope you both had a, a great summer. Danny, of course, you were off to Cyprus with the family and looking at the photos, had a great time. Of course, Paul, you and I just kept on slaving away here, mm-hmm. doing everything to do with whatever we do. But great to, to have you back on the show. Well, last Sunday was World Suicide Prevention Day, uh, a big one this year, with it being 20 years since this global day focusing on suicide prevention was launched. And it was the third and final year with the theme, Creating Hope Through Action. Danny, what do you think about having a day like this and the theme of Creating Hope Through Action? Yeah, well, as you say, it's the third year in a row that the organisers of WSPD have decided to stick with the very important theme of Creating Hope Through Action, with the vision that by encouraging understanding, that by reaching in and sharing experiences, it'll give people the confidence to take action when it comes to suicide prevention. We know at the John Legacy how important it is to have hope, but what is vital is, is to have hope with action. So that's action taken by ourselves to support our own mental health and action taken by others to reach out and provide hope and support those who are feeling suicidal. Everything that we do at the John Legacy is about creating hope through action and whether that's through our action research project, following our interviews with those with lived experience and those working in this field to establish what needs to be done to work towards a zero suicide society to our current petition to introduce the Suicide Prevention Act to actively minimise the 6,000 plus suicides that the UK currently experiences every year, uh, to the talks we do to raise awareness and educate people and organisations. So it's all about the importance of action and creating hope through this action that suicide can often be prevented. It's never inevitable and that there are many things that, that can be done and everybody can do more to prevent people taking their own lives. Thank you, Danny. And just listening to that list of actions that we're undertaking, uh, it's no wonder we feel tired uh, sometimes uh, as well. But a great reminder of the, the kind of actions as well that, that the Jordan Legacy is undertaking. Paul, you've been working in suicide prevention for more than 10 years now, so you must have experienced a, a few of these World Suicide Prevention Days. What has your experience been? Uh, yes, I have um, experienced many of them, Stephen, and, and it's been an inter- interesting experience because I've seen 
how things have changed in that uh, 10 year period. In 2013, the first one that I was involved in, um, that I was running a, a, a forum, a global forum on breakthrough ideas for, for suicide prevention. And that threw up loads of great ideas, some of which we're still pursuing now, you know, digital life saving and uh, uh, you know, getting the national strategies right and so on. It was quite academic back then. And it was, it was a very small community, I felt, an important, small but important community. But it was, it was a lot of researchers having a lot of discussions about what can be done. In 2014, Suicide Prevention Australia launched the Lived Experience panel, and, and they featured a lot more. And, and sort of over the next few years, people with lived experience started to come more into the, into the frame. And of course, recently, it's been very much more about people with lived experience, you know, ground up. It's not just a top-down exercise with academics and researchers and policymakers. And this theme, hope, creating hope to action, is entirely appropriate because a lot of those academics that I was working with back in 2013, 14, they used to have conferences where they talk about knowledge transfer. And I'd say, what's knowledge transfer? Well, it's kind of taking our knowledge and transferring it into, into what? What, action? <laughs> so, yeah, it's all about action. And that's what gives people hope ultimately. Yeah, really important. And I think, you know, we, we've heard a lot about lived experience coming to the fore in, in recent years, but I think those with lived experience really appreciate some form of direction and what action they can take. And I know our, our action research project and report is is providing that desired state map for a, for a future zero suicide society and how everyone can play a part. Sure. And also, Steve, um, another really significant year, of course, was World Suicide Prevention Day in 2020 where I was um, curating speakers for and organising the uh, One Team Gov events, which you were one of the speakers at. Uh, and that was so significant because when we first floated that idea with the One Team Gov network, they said they thought it might be a bit niche. And then when we got 933 people registered for it, they went, ah, it's not niche then. So that was a, a key moment. And also we wanted to have at least half the speakers with lived experience. And we achieved that by me asking yourself and Debbie Rogers and various people to speak. But also once we booked other speakers, professionals to speak, chief executives to speak, guess what? Once they opened up, turned out they've got lived experience as well. Yeah, I remember that day as, as if it was yesterday, Paul, just an in incredible event and really very much the start of, for me, uh, this journey into suicide prevention. And Dad, yeah, you must tell everyone about your upcoming talking tour in Gibraltar. Yes, absolutely. This is an unusual one, but yeah, early October, I'll be spending three or four days in Gibraltar. I've been invited actually by Brenda Kuby and the Gibsams organization, which many people might not be aware of, but in 2017, they formed an organization which is the equivalent of Samaritans here in the UK over in Gibraltar. So during those few days, I'll be delivering talks apparently to the media, to schools and workplaces, and to the volunteers actually of Sam's, as it will be their anniversary on one of the days that I'm there. So yeah, a little, little adventure for me to share our mission over mm. in Gibraltar. Well, thank you both. Let's take a break now and play some more music. And when we return, we'll be speaking with Andy McMenemy, founder of Peak personal performance right now we're going to play some more music and another track chosen by andy and given the recent september heat wave here in the uk it's the appropriately titled everybody's free to wear sunscreen by baz lerman this, this is, is yawa radio. radio you're listening to yawa radio and we love to bring you details 
of the inspirational book of the week. This week's book of the week is by Dr. Joe Dispenser, Becoming Supernatural, How Common People Are Doing the Uncommon. What would it mean to be supernatural? What if you could train your brain to tune into frequencies beyond our material world? Change your brain circuitry and chemistry to access transcendent levels of awareness and transform your very biology to enable profound healing. This is one of the abilities Dr. Jody Spencer offers in this revolutionary book, a set of tools that allow ordinary people to reach extraordinary states of being. So, this week's inspirational book of the week is Becoming Supernatural, How Common People Are Doing the Uncommon by Dr. Joe Dispenza. This, this is, is Yawa, Yawa Radio. Radio. Welcome back. Andy McMenemy is someone I've known personally for many years. We've spoken at the same conferences, attended the same networking events, and have always been aware of each other's professional work. However, following the loss of my son Jordan to suicide in 2019, Andy and I developed a very different relationship as he became one of the go-to people the Jordan legacy reaches out to if we've been contacted by someone who has lost all hope and maybe feeling suicidal. Andy, welcome to the show. It's uh, it's great to have you join us. Good morning, everyone. Fantastic to see you all. And thank you for inviting me. It's such a privilege to be invited onto this show because I know the amazing work that you do reaching out to people. And Steve, that track by Baz Luhrmann is an absolute classic, isn't it? And I love the statement he makes at the end. And this is really important in helping people that are feeling very, very low on their emotional scale. And it talks about advice being a form of nostalgia. And I love that. And, and dispensing advice um, in helping people to re-engage with hope is a, a way of fishing the past from the disposal bin, as Baz says, you know, wiping it down, painting over the ugly parts and recycling it for more than its perceived value. And often people forget about the successes they've had in their journey through life. You know, most people have already overcome 100% of the rubbish, the most rubbish days of their lives, you know, and to be where they are. And they forget they've got that resilience. So thank you for that track. It's really great. No, it is a great track. One of my, my favourites, I have to say as well. But Andy, we've got a lot to talk about in a short period of time today. And I want to start by sharing the following with our listeners. Through your company, Peak Personal Performance, you're an elite mindset coach, a behavioral change specialist, a psychotherapist, a clinical hypnotherapist. You've been a TEDx speaker. I mean, the list can, can go on. However, you haven't always been in these roles. I understand that for more than 20 years, you had a highly successful career in sales and management in the motor industry, managing multi-million pound divisions and client accounts until one day your world kind of came crashing down yeah it was i i was working as you say ma managing a 70 million pound division in uh, and i've done that in both 500 million and 1.3 billion pound organizations and just for a particular period steve of probably about 18 months you know i made the cardinal mistake of not practicing self-care and i was working in a very stressful environment probably promoted beyond where i felt really competent everything seemed to be a struggle for me and a challenge and I wasn't very good at asking for help. So I took it all on as a burden. 
And over a period of 18 months of poor self-care, um, not recognizing the stresses, trying to just bulldoze my way through them, at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, I was having a shower, um, about to go shopping with my wife. And I was kind of leaning forward in the shower, taking the full weight of the power shower on the lower part of my back where my my kind of stress manifests itself. But anyway, my wife came through the ensuite door and said, what do you think about this outfit? Now, that's a dangerous question for any guy at the best of times. Uh, and I sort of come up off my taking my hands off my knees. I turned to look and I said, it looks really nice. What, what's your thoughts? She says, well, I've got another one I want to try. So she went off to try that. And I went back to that position. When she came through the door the second time and asked the question, I stood up to look at her. She said, Andy, you're, when you moved, your eyes rolled into the back of your head. You come out the shower like you were felled by a lumberjack's axe. You buckled at the knees. You know, your face hit the floor. That's how you broke your fall. And immediately you were in a full on convulsive fit. In my mind, I was lying on the bathroom floor looking at the wash hand basin thinking, what the hell am I doing looking at the wash hand basin? I need to get up. I need to get up. I need to get up. Hmm. But my brain shut me down. And as you can imagine, I had every kind of test available over the next couple of uh, weeks with neurologists, you know, cardiologists, etc. And the final sign off meeting I had with the neurologist, he said, Andy, we've we have no real understanding of why this should have happened to you, because we've done every test imaginable and you haven't had a TIA and you haven't had a stroke and you haven't had a heart attack. But all we can deduce is you must have been an, under incredible amount of stress and your brain and your body would have been giving you lots of signals that it was time to apply some self-care and you've ignored them. And the brain's only primary motivation is survival. And so because you've chosen not to pay attention, it's got to the point where it shut you down. So you would have to pay attention. And that frightened me, Steve. Because oh, the words he said next lasted a long time in my mind. He said, you know, had this been a stroke, Andy, at 44, you might be sitting here paralyzed down one side of your body for the rest of your life. And I would challenge you to go home and think about your coping strategies for stress and, and the anxiety that that brought to you, because your way, my friend, doesn't work. <laughs> I think we have to understand this is the body and the mind's way of, of saying you cannot continue to hold this amount of stress and trauma within you. Yeah. How, how did you kind of deal with that experience then going forward? Was, was this the point you, you suddenly changed your career or was this over a period of time? It, it was. You know, I made an active decision that something had to change because, you know, the fear of being paralyzed, if I did have a stroke, you know, just wouldn't leave me alone. His advice was to go and reflect on my methodology of coping with stress and the attendant anxiety that it brings when you feel that you're not coping well and you're losing control of your results, if you like, in the corporate world. That was what what the impact was for me. And you know, I recognized that I was self-medicating with alcohol to relieve that stress. I didn't understand the impact that, you know, a bottle of red wine and that, because cooking was my de-stressor. I drive home from work at sort of half six, seven. I asked my wife if she sorted food for the kids and which she had. And then I'd say, have you eaten? She'd say, no. I said, I'll stop off at the supermarket and get us some food. And, and I love to cook. So that's my de-stressor. So I'd open a bottle of red wine, start cooking dinner. I'd have a glass of red wine while we had dinner. And by the time the news came on at 10 o'clock, that bottle was finished. You know, and you do that consistently over an 18 month period. It disrupts your sleep. It, it removes your ability to get that restful, restorative sleep. It affects your brain's ability to compartmentalize the day, you know, because you lose REM sleep. And these are all crucial for resilience and for helping us to remain capable and competent 
I think it's really interesting. The listeners won't know this, but I can see Danny nodding away. I'm nodding away here. I think we've all been guilty of the, that form of de-stressor at some some point. Earlier, I listed the many qualifications and areas of expertise you specialize in and, and deliver through your company, Peak Personal Performance. I do want to talk about one aspect of your work today, which is especially relevant to the work we do here at the Jordan Legacy. I believe there was a pivotal moment whilst you were coaching a private business client who himself was overwhelmed by pressure and chronic stress and close to ending his life. Can can you tell us what happened and why that was such a pivotal moment for you? You know, it really was a pivotal moment. And all of the people that have been helped by the work that I do and the associations I have with people like yourself, I can track it all back to that. They owe their their support and guidance they received from me through that because the guy was actually a military veteran, but also a businessman, a young guy, educated to degree level, you know, as a soldier, which is quite unusual. But he was struggling significantly with his loss of control of his business. He was working remotely and just extremely worried about not being able to secure funding from the NGOs that he was working with, etc. But anyway, he said, look, instead of just sitting in a hotel and having a coaching session, can we go for a walk and talk in the hills, which I agreed to do. So we did that. And my tendency back then, Steve, before I was clinically trained from a business perspective, once I'd earned their respect and their trust was to give tough love. And of course, I could see that he was emotionally distressed all the way through the walk. He was talking at 100 miles an hour all the time. His eyes were scanning everywhere when he was processing. And those are all classic signs I understand now to be, you know, severe stress. And he, he declared on that walk that, you know, you're the last person I'm going to reach out to because I just don't know what to do. And, and I thought, well, no pressure there. then. <laughs> and the frightening thing was, even though he was a military veteran and I was well connected with military charities, I convinced him to go and see his GP the next day because I believed that was the right course of action. And I spoke to his mum because he was living back at home. And from that moment of him declaring suicidal intentions, suicidal thoughts, it took 83 days to get him face to face with a mental health specialist who could sit down and talk to him. And that was just unacceptable in my mind. So I trained clinically more or less there and then on the spot. I thought I need to feel more confident at collapsing that emotional trauma very quickly. And that's where it all started, Steve. Andy, in the work you do now, how often do you have clients who are having thoughts of suicide or, or making plans to end their lives? And what have you learned from these experiences in shaping your practice? That's a really good question, Danny. And the honest answer is it varies. You know, I've had a number of referrals that have been trusted to me by by yourselves at the Jordan Legacy. And those people were quite severe in their emotional distress and the level of hopelessness they'd reached. So it's difficult to give you a number, but, you know, the scale of of, um, support that clients come to me for can vary from chronic stress right the way through to the depths of depression and suicidal ideation. All I can say is in the last, from my notes on in the last two years, I've had nine people who have been, you know, very, very dangerously close to losing that final thread of hope. And, you know, I'm delighted to say all of them are now back engaged with their lives and uh, fully participating in rebuilding their their hope and uh, exploring their potential. Um, Andy, I'm interested to know what are the most common conscious mental health issues that clients are presenting to you right now? And which are the most common issues that later emerge, perhaps a case of symptoms and causes? That's a great question, Paul. Conscious mental health issues. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? 
what I find is I, I prefer to work with clients on the basis of them understanding their emotional needs. Mental health is a very big umbrella term that's used. And, and I've actually done this in, in corporate situations where I've asked, you know, 17 corporate directors in a room to write down their definition of mental health. And I get 12 to 14 variations on a theme. There's no one consensus of opinion of what mental health is. And therefore, it's very challenging to help people when you talk about a big umbrella term. But there are only nine emotional needs that every human being on the planet needs to get met. So when we think about conscious mental health issues, most of our issues around emotional well-being are not conscious. They're emotional. They're being driven by the subconscious. And we don't understand the full mechanism of that when we're immersed in it. And my job is to help people understand that when they start to feel the effects of the emotions, when you start to feel anxious, the chemistry is already in play. The subconscious mind is already driving the fight or flight response. And the brain is actively looking for threats and actively looking for a, a, um, a clarity and a certainty that it's going to be safe. So they don't present with conscious mental health issues. They present with a symptom, whatever that may be, stress, anxiety, loss of control, feeling you know, depressed. Um, and, and for me and them, the job is then to, to understand the root cause. Um, and the brain works in a very specific way of pattern matching. It looks at a stimulus appearing in its environment and it asks itself these questions. Have I experienced this stimulus or anything like it before? And then the memory bank comes back and it says, yes, we have. And then the, the mind goes, well, where is it taking me? Is it taking me somewhere pleasurable or somewhere painful? And whichever response the answer is, if it's taking you somewhere painful and unpleasant, you're going to be in stress response immediately. You know, you'll be activated by adrenaline and cortisol and you will feel those effects immediately. Um, but it's too late. The mechanism has been activated. And, and the only way you can turn it off is calming it down. And so likewise with the pleasure, if it's a pleasurable memory, you're going to start getting adrenaline and endorphins and dopamine and serotonin to make you look forward to the experience and enjoy it. So it's really interesting to understand just how the brain works and that we don't necessarily present with conscious mental health issues. We're presenting with the symptom of a deeper underlying pattern system. Yeah. Andy, fascinating stuff. And, and look, many, many thanks uh, for now. We're going to take a, a break, listen to some music and another song that you've chosen for today's show. Um, we're going to play The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. Can you tell us why this song is particularly important to you? It's a lovely song. I mean, the, the, the lyrics are really powerful. And, you know, a lot of music is all written around emotion, isn't it, when we think about it? You know, and Mike Rutherford's journey um, through that song in the lyrics that he writes. Where I work with clients in the, the cycle of depression or the, the cycle of um, relationship issues, there's a lovely phrase in this song that says, we all talk a different language, talking in defense. So I'll let people listen to that as it goes through. Fantastic. Okay, let's listen to Mike and the Mechanics of the Living Years. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Andy, and we'll be discussing those nine essential emotional needs that Andy believes we all need to be able to have to not only survive, but to thrive in life. And we'll be right back after this. Hi, it's Zoe Bishop here. 
If you want to get your weekend off to the best start, join me every week for my Feel Good Friday show from 11am to 1pm. Two hours of fab music, well-being tips and Friday fun. This This is is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio. Welcome back. We're talking with our guest, Andy McMenemy, founder of Peak Personal Performance. Andy, before the break, I made reference, and you did as well, of course, to the nine essential emotional needs that you believe we all require for our well-being to thrive. Can you tell us a bit about these nine needs? Yeah, I I guess this evolved from uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and uh, two excellent psychologists that formed the Human Givens Association and the Human Givens College, a school of psychotherapy, evolved it into our nine essential emotional needs. And their sort of mantra is that every human being on the planet must get these emotional needs met at a level which they can tick a box to say, do you know something that's good enough? I'd like to improve it. But where it is, I'm happy with it. And when we don't get these needs met, and even just one of them not being met at that level can become enough of a stressor to cause us emotional dysregulation. And when we don't address it, it just becomes more serious. And then we start to lose our ability to feel in control of that. And we start to become anxious about it. So the nine emotional needs, the first one we talked about, the brain is primarily interested in safety and security. And that's the primary directive of our brain. It's not interested in success. It's not interested in happiness. It's not interested in achievement. It wants to know it's safe. Uh, And so the amygdala, the part of the brain that is very closely connected to our emotional regulation, we know from neuroscience, it is 75% weighted towards negativity. Now, that's not to say we're negative ninnies. It means that the brain is focusing on the threats to identify them so that it can formulate strategies to deal with them so that we don't feel like we're out of control and that we're being, you know, um, attacked. So anxiety is a gift from nature. It locks our attention where we need to focus in order to remain safe. And we need to apply some action there. So security is the first one. Then there's autonomy, the freedom to be in control of our choices and our decision making processes and not to feel like we're being controlled, you know, coercively or in relationships which are not healthy for us. Then we have attention. Attention is both nutritious to give to others and also to receive. And uh, we know from human behavioral psychology, babies are world-class experts at getting their need for attention met. Because for the first 18 months, they are 100% dependent upon their parents, their protectors to take care of their needs. So a baby cries when it's tired, it cries when it's wet, it cries when it's hungry, it cries when it's bored, it cries when it's in pain. So attention is really important that we get our need for attention met. Then there is intimacy. Do we have at least one relationship where we are accepted unconditionally, warts and all, for all of our great qualities and some of our lesser qualities? (laughs) So do we have that one relationship where we can, and that can be a grandparent, it can be a parent, a friend, a spouse, doesn't really matter. But as long as we're accepted and we can open ourselves up, then that's a need that we must get met. And where we get that need met can be our community. So are we part of an organization where we feel welcome outside of what we do for our job? We spend a lot of time at work. Then we've got our family life. But do we have anything outside of that that in you know our, our interests, if you like? So are we part of a wider community? And do we feel valued and respected inside of that? Which brings us to value and respect. Do we feel like we have a degree of status? Do we feel valuable in the contributions we make? 
to our family, to our work, to our professions, etc. Um, which links into the next emotional need, which is um, a sense of achievement and accomplishment. Do we feel like we're making progress in our life in all the important areas, in our relationships, in our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, and how we envisage and our expectation, I guess, for what our life will look like? Then we need to have that privacy to be able to consolidate those thoughts and experiences and take the relevant value from them. And our brain does that during the process of REM sleep. It compartmentalizes everything and then it allows our memories to consolidate. So we need to have privacy space to do that. And then finally, there is a sense of meaning and purpose. And often the one that lacks in people that are struggling with their emotional well-being and those emotional needs are not being met is they, they feel this lack of meaning and purpose. And therefore, the hopelessness starts to creep in because they can't reignite it. So those are the nine emotional needs. And we also have internal resources, which I'll be unpacking at the conference um, in December to help people understand how we use those internal resources to get those needs met. Because, you know, we wouldn't have them if we couldn't get them met. And we've got lots of great skills and competencies that we sometimes just don't fully appreciate, Steve. No, I think I think some fascinating stuff there for, for me, Andy. And I think people listening today, if they're like me, will be going, these things are almost kind of blindingly obvious that we need those. We, you know, we, we're lacking this sense of community. It's something in the work of suicide prevention we're talking a lot about with the Jordan legacy, feeling valued. You know, I think so many people don't feel they're valued in the work they do or at home in relationships. And I just think this sense of meaning and purpose and achievement, I think everyone listening is going to go, yeah, these these are things that I need in my life. And it's going to be great to hear you at the conference. And for anyone listening today, Andy will be one of our inspiring keynote speakers at the Hope for Life conference in Harrogate on December the 1st. If you visit the jordanlegacy.com website and go to the conference menu, you'll find all the details. Andy, as someone who's practiced as a coach, a business coach as well, and a therapist, can you explain to our listeners the key similarities and the key differences in these two roles? What a great question, Paul. Primarily, I think both roles are focused on the power of questions. So a, a good coach will be asking questions to unlock the knowledge inside of the coachee that they're working with. You know, they'll challenge them to come up with the solutions themselves. Sometimes in therapy, people don't want that. They want an answer. They need help immediately. Give me something I can actually work with. Don't let make me self-analyze. But those questions are really important in both cases. So Asking high quality questions gives you better quality data coming back that you can work with. And then it's about empowering, I guess, them to, to apply critical thinking to their situation. Once you've calmed them down, it's a case of, OK, let's look at this in a different way. And no matter where I am on the journey with clients, whether I'm coaching them or whether they're in therapy with me, there are there are two primary questions I always ask. How does it get better than this for you? I want them to answer that for me. What is their goals, aspirations? It's part of the mechanism that I use, which again comes from human givens. It's called a Rygar system. So you build rapport. You understand by listening uh, to, to their concerns and their anxieties. You information gather. You start to ask questions to get more data. You goal set with them. What is it you're trying to achieve or what is it that, you know, what, how, how does life get better than this for you? Yeah, that's that goal setting mechanism. And then you take them into their available resources. And we talk about, you know, the innate resources that allow us to get our needs met. 
And then it's agreeing a strategy we're going to both get involved in and helping them to achieve their outcomes. And then finally, we start to rehearse what that success will look like and more important, emotionally feel like. What will it feel like to stand on that finishing line, looking back over your journey and realize that, you know, with support, with guidance, you used your resources and you managed to na navigate that journey for yourself. So I think high powered questions is the common theme between both and knowing when to use them is the skill. And just adding to Paul's question there, then is there a difference then really in your view between a therapist and a, and a, and a coach, would you say, Andy? There is when it comes to emotional distress, because as I said, I was quite a successful business coach, but I didn't feel qualified and competent to deal with somebody that was at the depths of depression and uh, not able to cope. And, and look, and continuing this theme, I suppose, in, in our work in mental health and suicide prevention, a lot is spoken about experts in inverted commas. Who are they? What makes them an expert? And to what extent is everyone an expert in their own experience do you have a, a personal or even a professional view on this i do and, and if anyone visits my website peakpersonalperformance.co.uk you, you they'll see in my sort of description of my methodology that in my work two people work together in a partnership to achieve that desired outcome yeah they, they consult with me to get results so one of them is an expert in their own lives one of those two people is an expert in their own life their own experiences their own emotions they're experiencing at that time and their feelings that are going on inside of them and the thoughts they're having and therefore the behavior they start to exhibit and usually they're struggling or they're seeking support and the other expert me i guess in this scenario is highly trained in understanding behavioral psychology and how the mind and body works in response to emotional distress uh, and how to provide that compassionate, swift, but very brief and effective resolution for them, because it has to be brief. It can't be long and protracted. They must get results quickly to give them that sense of hope and achievement. And so for I will operate a resolution based therapy in order to help them get those powerful results. So it is a partnership. I can't do it to them or I can't do it for them. We need to work together and they need to use their resources with my guidance to help them achieve those outcomes. So we are both experts in our life experiences and we both view them from different perspectives. Uh, Andy, I believe that you've won an award for True Englishman of the Year. Uh, firstly, I wondered how you go about achieving an award such as that. And also, what else in the form of awards do you think we should be publicly acknowledging when it comes to mental health and suicide prevention? Yeah, at the time, Danny, I didn't know why I received the reward. I thought it was a wind up, to be honest. I thought one of my speaking friends was winding me up when the letter came through the post. But no, I was inducted into the same Hall of Fame as really eminent sports people like Sir Roger Bannister, Sir Steve Redgrave, Sir Ian Botham, Sir Ranulph Fiennes, many of my heroes for being an inspiration to others. And that was for something I did in 2011 when I eventually navigated my way out of the corporate world, as, as, as I discussed with you, Steve, and started chasing my own dreams, goals and aspirations, which I'd parked for a long time. But, you know, part of that sense of achievement and accomplishment, I had to do something that reinstilled my feeling of autonomy, my ability to do things that I wanted to do. And so I set out in 2010 to challenge the world record for marathons, which was 52 marathons in 52 days. And I set out to run an ultra marathon in each of the 66 cities of the UK to raise money for ABF, the soldiers charity, which was the army's national charity. And they were helping severely injured veterans coming back from Afghanistan. And, and they've been helping veterans since the end of the Second World War. It's the army's national charity. 
So whether they were injured physically or emotionally or morally by what they experienced, the charity was there to support them. And they just they just stole my heart. I went to spend the day with them. They became the beneficiary of the effort. And I'm delighted to say I succeeded in crossing that finishing line and helping them raise all the money and the awareness they needed for the great work they do. So that's how I got the award. It was a recognition, I guess, of inspiring others to overcome adversity in, in the way that we did that. So it's it's a great question. I think you guys deserve an absolute reward, you know, uh, uh, an award. And I think recognition is is the most important thing. Recognition for the people we work with that are on this journey, whether they are grieving the result of, you know, someone having having taken their own life by suicide. But but it's about recognition of what we're doing well. You know, I think all of us need to put our hand over our shoulder and give ourselves a pat on the back at times you know, when no one else is doing it for us. You know, I don't probably share back with you often enough the results that I get from people that you trust me to work with. But I can tell you, they're all getting on with their lives very well now. Oh, that's amazing to hear, Andy. And look, I mean, lots of messages of hope. And and as the regular listeners to our show will we'll know, we always like to end our show on a message of hope. So if there's one specific message you'd like to share with our listeners today, a message of hope, who would that be for? And what would that message be? So the message for hope would be for anyone that feels like they are losing their ability to feel in control. You know, maybe they're up against life's challenges. And we talk in psychiatry and psychology about, you know, resilience is our ability to adapt well to the challenges that we face or that life presents to us and and to be able to move through them and continue on our journey. So my message of hope is this. Now, hope is not blind optimism. Emotions are temporary. Hope is that thing inside of us that works alongside its really powerful ally, potential. And together, they insist, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that something better is waiting for us when we have the courage to reach out, take some help and work towards that goal that we wish. Hope never dies. It's always there. Sometimes that little candle of hope can be a flickering flame, but we can give it oxygen, we can help it to grow, and it can turn into a furnace that will fire us. So don't lose hope. Incredible, incredibly powerful message, Andy, and, and not just a hopeful message, but but a way to, to reignite that hope as well, I think is really powerful. Well, look, we're, we're pretty well out of time today, but we, we are going to play uh, one more music. Uh, track well in fact two more tracks from you but one we're going to give you an opportunity just to to chat a little bit about here the next track is uh by brent morgan it's all going to be okay uh tell us what's special about this song for you one word hope and that's it you know that the song is a lovely song but it's all about helping them to have that belief that everything will be okay you know, it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness to reach out and take additional resources on board to help us get through those challenges. We all need it at some time. And I've used it many times, you know, but this is a lovely song and it's all about that little flickering flame of hope. It's all going to be OK. Well, Andy, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you with us today. We're going to listen to Brent Morgan. It's all going to be okay right now. And when we come back, Danny, Paul and I will do a brief roundup of today's conversation with Andy and the show. And we'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Steve. Join me every day of the week from 7 through till 10 for Yawa Breakfast right here on Yawa Radio. Probably the best way to start your day. Make a date. Join me every day, 7 till 10, Yawa Breakfast right here on Yawa Radio. 
Well, a great start to our first show following the summer break. Paul, what did you take away from our conversation with Andy today? Oh, Andy has such a breadth and depth of skills and experience across a number of different disciplines, you know, from business coaching to psychotherapy to hypnotherapy, to specifically working with clients in in suicide danger. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to meeting him in person and, and hearing him speak at our Hope for Life conference in December in Harrogate's. Uh, and I believe tickets are still available, Steve. Yes, they are, Paul. We've, we've, I've done really well with ticket sales early on in, in the year now. There are a few left for the event on December the 1st in Harrogate. And uh, for anyone listening today that would like to come along to this conference, we've got a huge lineup of wonderful inspirational speakers, theatrical acts and musical performances. And if you visit the jordanlegacy.com and the conference menu at the top of the page, you'll be able to access those. And Danny, how about you? What what were some of the key messages you've taken away from our conversation with Andy? Andy's obviously fantastic at, at what he does. And the part that really resonated with me is where he talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is actually something I studied at A-level. And I think that by compartmentalising our needs, it allows us to have a clearer focus of where maybe our needs aren't being met and, and what we can do going forward to fix this. It was interesting, wasn't it? Breaking it down into areas to to work on just makes a lot of sense uh, as well, doesn't it? So, yeah, I think it, it was it was a really inspiring conversation. Uh, really looking forward to hearing Andy speak at our conference later this year on December the 1st. Well, that's it for another episode of Jordan Space. Uh, my thanks to Danny and Paul and to this week's guest, uh, Andy McMenemy. Thank you also for tuning in. I hope you found today's discussion interesting and insightful. And if you felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicides, you can make a donation on our website, thejordanlegacy.com, or you can get in touch by emailing hello at thejordanlegacy.com. You can also engage with us on our social media by following the Jordan Legacy CIC's LinkedIn company page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram using the username at Jordan Legacy UK. And you can also find us on Facebook at the Jordan Legacy CIC. You can listen to recordings of previous shows on our website by choosing the menu Jordan Space at the top of the homepage on our website. For now, from Danny, Paul and myself, we'd like to wish you a safe, healthy and above all, hopeful rest of your week. And we're going to leave you with one final track chosen by Andy, and that is Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. This This is is Yawa Radio. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.com. Co.uk. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio podcast. Copyright applies. <laughs>